don't know how old I was when our family went out to the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Just show of hands, a handful of you. Um, we, we went out to the Grand Canyon. It was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. So we had family in, I think at the time they were in Montana. We were on the East Coast. We had family in California. So somehow that kind of became the, I don't think that's actually the center of the country, is it? Um, I don't know where, what would be the central location, uh, the meeting place for like North Carolina, Missouri, Montana, and California, probably some place in Iowa, and who wants to go there? So anyway, we picked the Grand Canyon, right? So we said, we'll meet there, and so we told people we're going to the Grand Canyon, and we're like, we've never been there, and they said, oh man, when you get there, it's going to be, it's amazing, you're going to love it, and so we kind of had this little running joke, oh, it's so amazing, and we get to the Grand Canyon, we see it for the first time, we're just going to be like, wow, and then we saw it. And all we could say was, wow, wow, wow. Like you get out of the car, you walk up to the edge of the canyon, you're like, wow, it is amazing. Like, what have you seen? Don't answer out loud, just think about it. What have you seen? What have you heard? What, what makes you kind of go, that is amazing. What kind of leaves you speechless? And all you can say is, wow. What, what is it in your life that you've seen that, that has that kind of a reaction for you? It's a, I was thinking about God. Um, obviously, we, people say God's amazing all the time. Amazing Grace, the most popular hymn ever written. Um, the story behind Amazing Grace. I mean, there's lots of things. We, we use that word a lot about, like, from, from us towards God. You're amazing. Your grace is amazing. But you know what blows my mind? In this passage, we're in Luke 7. 1 through 10, in this passage, we meet a man who Jesus said was amazing. And how many of you would like to be that person, right? Like God looks at all of us and says, oh, but, but Justin, I mean, he's amazing. Which He's like, Eric, are you listening? I mean, come on. Like this is God speaking, right? I would love to be that person. I would love to have lived a life that was so amazing that Jesus, I mean, it says it right here in Luke 7, 9. It says, when Jesus heard this, and this is what, it refers back to what we're going to study today. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. That, that word amazed, it's used a lot in the New Testament, but it's always, they were amazed at Jesus, or he healed somebody, and they were amazed. It's only used two times when Jesus was amazed at something. And one was bad. That was um, his hometown, and they, were, they wouldn't, had no faith, and it actually says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. I don't want to amaze Jesus with that. This is the only time in the New Testament when that word's used about Jesus for a good reason. He was amazed at this man's faith. And when I read that, so it just kind of makes me curious, what, what marks the life that amazes Jesus? I mean, maybe you don't care about that. Maybe you're just here, like, look, somebody said if I'd come to church, they'd buy me lunch. That's cool. It's good to have you. But I believe that in this room, there are believers, there are followers of Jesus, and it matters to you that it's possible that you could live a life that would amaze God. We're amazed by God all the time. But, but you could live a life that, just pl- give me some latitude here, that would make Jesus sit up on the edge of his throne to look a little closer. I want to live a life like that. I believe it's possible. I believe we learned something today from this man, this centurion. So we, I need a little background before. I'm just going to give you three things. I need to give a little, little bit of background. The, the focus of this story is on a centurion. And what that means is he's a man's man. 
right? Um, I, I want to be a man's man. God, I want that so bad. I, like, I think running 50 miles makes me, I don't know if that makes me a man's man or just stupid. I'm not sure. But I, I want people to go like, Paul, that's a man's man. I don't know if I, I look in the mirror and see that. This dude's a man's man, right? Because he's not just a man, but he's leading men. He's a centurion, which means he is over 100 soldiers. It's not just men, soldiers. 100 soldiers. We were watching Captain America 2 last night. And I was thinking, Captain America, I don't know if he's a man's man, I'm not sure he's real, but whatever. Like, could you imagine being a centurion over a hundred Captain Americas? Or as Wendy calls him, the American man, right? <laughs> so like, oh, you're over a hundred of those, those guys. Like that's this man. He's over 100 soldiers. And this is back in the day when war was really brutal, nasty. These are fighting machines, and he's over them. So this is a man's man. He's not, um, he doesn't look like the pictures of Jesus that hang in Sunday schools, right? Flowing hair, a little yellow thing behind his head, glowing, and the robe. It's a man's man. It's like the 300, right? This is who we're talking about. It's a centurion over 100 men. He, he's, he's a nice man. Verse 2 says that he valued his servant. He, he had compassion on his servant. His servant was sick, and his master valued him highly. He was a nice man. He was a religious man, and I don't mean that necessarily in a bad light. He's a Gentile. So you know um, Luke is writing this, and, and he knows Theophilus is going to read this. Theophilus is the guy that's paying Luke to, to investigate these stories. And he's like, man, he's going to love this because Theophilus was a Gentile. And so it looks like my, my, the guy paying me to find out if Jesus is real is going to hear the story about a centurion who was a Gentile and how he responds to Jesus. He's going to love this. But he was what they would have called a God-fearer. So he was a Gentile who still wanted to follow God, who still gave God priority. And we see that he, he did that. He was a nice man. He was a religious man. He helped build the synagogue, verse 5 says. He was a patriotic man. So he loved his nation. Which means he's probably Republican, apparently, right? That's what we think. Only Republicans are patriotic. For whatever reason, that's not true, but we think that. And then, if that's not enough, you have to add to that list that he's a man who amazed Jesus. That's got to be the most important one of all. So what does a life look like that amazes Jesus? I find three things. Okay, there's probably more than that, but I'm going to go with three. Pray for me because I'm going to try to go really fast. Here we go. Number, number one. What does a life look like that amazes Jesus? It's a life oriented around grace. It's a life oriented around grace. Um, let's just read this real quick. Verse one. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, all this being the sermon that we've been studying for the last couple of weeks, he entered Capernaum, which Capernaum was kind of like, because I told you he was amazed at the lack of faith in his hometown. So Capernaum became like his hub of ministry. This is the city, the town. It wasn't a big one, maybe 50 to 100 people. But this was where he kind of, he kind of his ministry headquarters was Capernaum. And there was a centurion's servant. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to the Jews asking him to come. And what did he ask him to do? Just come heal my servant, right? Just come heal my servant. When they came to Jesus, they, being the elders, pleaded earnestly with him. Let's just see. You ever play that game where the rumor game, I whisper in your ear and you whisper in their ear and it goes all the way around. And then it gets back over here and it's like, the duck is yellow. And over here it's like somebody has a big gut. You're like, how did that happen, right? How did the message get messed up? 
So he says to the elders, look, just go ask Jesus to come heal my servant. And the elders, as elders tend to do, and not our elders, our elders are good, but like in this context, kind of like the religious leaders, real, like always trying to make things a little bit better. They added words to what he said. So here's the request that they relayed to Jesus. This man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. Ha! He deserves it. It's amazing how quickly we can fall into that trap, isn't it? God, do you, I deserve for you to do this for me. I've worked for this. I've given you all I have. Yeah, my servant's sick. Uh, you, you need to come heal. That's what they said. Religion tends to do that. Religion tends to look at our works. I've done good. You should come do this for me. I deserve it. But the centurion never said that. He just said, ask Jesus to come heal my servant. Because for the centurion, it was a life oriented around grace. It was his works, Jesus' works, not the centurion. The religious guys were keeping score, but the centurion wasn't. He understood that he had done nothing to deserve Jesus' presence. It's, It's crazy. Jesus starts going with him, and it says he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. What I wonder sometimes is this, just reading this passage, had the word gotten back to the centurion, like somebody come running ahead going, he's coming, he's coming. And the centurion, like, why is he, like, how did it go? Like, you told him to come here, my servant. Oh, yeah, we told him, like, all you've, all you've done how you love your country, how you built the synagogue, how if anybody deserves to have Jesus in their house, it's got to be you. I wonder if that happened, and the centurion's like, what have you done? Are you kidding me? And he sent another messenger out to say, whoa, stop the whole thing. I don't deserve to have you in my house. I've done nothing to deserve this. And that's what grace says. Look, some of you are amazing people, but you didn't, earn anything from God some of you that aren't amazing you're not further back in line because none of us can earn anything from God we have grace oriented lives a life that amazes Jesus is grace oriented let me ask you this question is that true of your life or do you find yourselves saying things in your heart because you probably wouldn't say this out loud do you keep reminding Jesus of all the things you've done And all the reasons why he needs to come through for you right now. I mean, I wrote something on the sheet, Jesus. I've been reading my Bible every day for a day. (laughs) She come through for me. I even sang out loud in church. I pulled one hand out of my pocket and put it there. We start telling him all the things we've done. As if somehow that means we deserve it. The centurion understood that he did not deserve anything. He had not earned anything. His life was oriented around grace. Here's number two. It's a life anchored in truth. So this man who doesn't deserve Jesus in his home, he sends word to stop him. And he said four words that are another hallmark of the life that amazes Jesus. He said, but say the word. I counted them. But say the word. Four He said, I don't deserve to have you in my house. I've done nothing that makes me worthy of that. I don't need you to come into my house, but say the word. Think about that. It's like there's more power in one word from Jesus 
than millions of words from men. Just say the word. In the Greek, I love this. In the Greek, that literally means, but say in a word. Just in, in one word. Just say in a word. And that's all I need. Just say in a word. What, what do we know about the power of God's word? Um, there's some, a bunch of references up there for you. You can copy those down. Hebrews 4.12, we know that the word of God is living, it's active, it's effective. We know from Romans 10.17 that the word of God produces faith in us. Hearing comes by the word and faith comes by hearing. 2 Timothy 3.16, it equips and it trains us. It says that the word of God is profitable for all these things that we, like training is good, but this is like for rebuking and eh, like that. You know, it equips us. It equips us to do his works. Acts 20, 32 says that the word of God builds us up. John 17, 17 says it's the truth that cleanses us. This is the power of the word of God. And this centurion, who is not even a Jew, not even one of God's chosen people, he gets it. I don't have to have you come visit me, but say the word. My servant will be healed. He understood that Jesus' words had power. His life was anchored by truth. He recognized that Jesus had the ability to change things with his word. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that? Interesting stat, right? Of churchgoers, and whether this is your first time here or your millionth time here, we haven't had a million, but you know what I'm saying. You're a churchgoer. Look at the person next to you. They're a churchgoer today. They might, they might, hey, it's my first time here, but today you're a churchgoer. Here's an interesting stat. 90% of churchgoers said yes to this question. Would you like to live a life that pleases God? 90% said yes. Makes you wonder what the other 10% are thinking. But still, let's go with that, right? 90% of people that go to church say, I would like to live a life that pleases God. Or let's use our word today. I would, live a life, I would like to live a life that, that, that amazes God. 90%. Of those same people, 20% read the Bible daily. A centurion understood the value of the words of Jesus. So much so that he said, just say the word. Just say a word. Just one word is all I need. Because your word is so powerful, it will change my situation. Now here we are. 90% of you, 9 out of 10 of you would say, I want to live a life that pleases God. But only 2 out of 10 of you every day will read what he actually gave us so that we would know how to please God. Which leads to number three. It's a life submitted to authority. So what, what does the life look like that pleases, that amazes God? It's a life that says it's, it's his works, not mine. It's, it's his words, not mine. And then the last one is it's his way, not mine. It's a life submitted to authority, this is the final, like maybe the most powerful hallmark of that life that amazes Jesus. It isn't, isn't just a life that understands grace or that believes that he has the ability to do what he says. It's the life that understands that he has the authority to do what he says. And that's different. Look, look what the centurion said. He said, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And then verse 8, for I myself am a man under authority. Like he's a centurion. He's got soldiers under him, a hundred, and he's under somebody else. 
And I know I'm talking about authority right now, and I'm using words like under, and everybody's like, oh, I hate these kind of sermons. I hate it. Submission's going to be said. I can just sense it. All the men are going to be like, amen, brother. And I hate my husband right now. He's going to say stuff like, he's the man of God, and don't ever question him. I mean, I hate preaching sermons like this because I've been under bad authority. But it doesn't lessen the truth of authority. Right? And the centurion got it. He said, I too am a man under authority. I have men under me, and if I say jump, they will say how high. He said, I know how this whole thing works. And if you will just say the word, Jesus, you have all authority. And if you'll just say the word, not only do you have the ability to do what you say you can do, but you have the authority to actually do it. He understood spiritual authority. And he understood this, and I think it's important. He understood that spiritual authority has nothing to do with force. It has everything to do with choice. Authority is all about being properly aligned. I'm not sure um, how many of you go to chiropractors, but I do know that our country spends $12 billion a year on chiropractic care. I've never been to one. I'm sure if I ever went to one, the sound of my back cracking would echo forever, right? $12 billion a year in our country on chiropractic care, which just explains to me that our country understands alignment physically, but they don't understand alignment spiritually. What's interesting is that the same truth physically applies in our lives spiritually. If you have back pain, if you're a chiropractor junkie, if you have back pain, your first call is the chiropractor. He's like, how can I help you? She's like, what do you need? I, man, I, see, I need to get adjusted. Dude, my back's killing me. And I think for, I've, I've researched it enough to know that, like, you can call a chiropractor's office and say, my ear is hurting me. And they'll be like, come on in, let's adjust you. I don't know how adjusting my spine makes my ear feel better, but I've heard, like, it, wor- it works, right? And now that they, you got your chiropractor on speed dial. Because you're like, I'm in so much pain. Like, I just, oh, if you could just, like, I'll be good. And so you'll go pay the chiropractor to adjust you. And I want to make a, a really bold statement here, okay? I was looking at the sheets that we signed earlier. I'm going to give you a couple examples of where we're out of alignment as, just as people in general. We'll be out of alignment in our lives spiritually and we'll never for a second think, maybe I should adjust something. We just keep walking with a limp, a frown, a scowl. We never think for a second, maybe something, maybe the pain in my life is showing me that I'm out of alignment somewhere and I need to be adjusted back. This man knew this. He knew that we were designed to be aligned and that if we aren't, it can lead to all kinds of problems. He knew that Jesus had authority to do what he said and that if he would align his life under the authority of the word of Jesus Christ, that his servant could be healed. So think about areas where we often don't align ourselves with the authority of Jesus. And I'll give you two. And this is probably enough because you'll hate them. Finances. So I'm looking at what's crazy is the two that I'm going to give you. I I wrote this sermon this week. But the majority of what's on this sheet will be covered by these two. Finances. God, I need you to speak life into my finances. 
I need, my finances are like this centurion servant. My finances are sick and about to die, right? Now, today you feel pretty good because it's close to the first of the month. But if I preach this message like on a 20-something day, you're like, oh, dude, life support for my finances, right? I need help now. So a lot of us struggle in that area. Our finances are an area we need God to speak life into us, right? God, just say the word. And by word, I mean six numbers, right? <laughs> that was fantastic. Okay, um, let's move on, right? So, but here's the thing. Now, just listen to me, okay? Don't throw stuff at me, okay? Don't throw stuff at me. Just listen. The Bible is clear that I should set my offering aside for God before anything else. The Bible's clear. I mean, we're not even having a discussion about tithe, right? And we could do that. I could say Malachi 3.10 says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So bring your tithe to the church. We could have a whole conversation. Well, does he really want 10%? Or, he wants 100%. Okay? So we only talk about percentages. Let's just talk about principles. He says that we should, with joy in our heart, set aside what we bring to God first before anything else. And that alone is why most people have finances out of whack. Because you can give to God and still not be blessed by God if your idea of giving is, well, it's the end of the month, I barely limped along, and now I have a buck left, I'll drop it into the container. Because you're giving God leftovers and not giving Him first. See, right away you're like, you know... You're talking about this, Paul, and I get it. I'm probably not aligned with God and his word in the area of finances. But now that you talk about me maybe giving something up to God first, I'm good with some back pain. I'll just limp along with the back pain spiritually instead of aligning myself under the authority of the word of God. And all I'm saying is that's your choice. Just don't be surprised that you have back pain, right? I would suggest that you align yourself with the word of God. And you honor God first with your finances and not last with your leftovers. What about uh, this one, relationships? And I've got to hurry up and finish because you're going to throw things at me. So relationships, um, trusting God and his instructions more than our feelings, right? Now, some relationship struggles are because of other people's problems and you're just, you have a burden for them and I get that. But sometimes we bring relationship troubles on ourselves because we don't simply follow what God has set out in Scripture. Um, my years of youth pastoring gives me plenty of background to speak with authority on this issue. Because I can't tell you how many times I would have a young lady sit in my office and she would just cry. And she would say, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul, why can't I find a great guy? Well, let's talk about the great guys you've been dating. I've never met any of them. Why don't I ever get to meet them? Well, they don't really do the church. I think we've just found a problem, right? Um, maybe, maybe you should bring them. Well, I, 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 don't know, like, I don't know if they would like it. Well, do they love Jesus? I think. I th okay, another, another problem. You're saying I think to this question, right? How many, how many of you just got married because you felt so passionately in love with the person you never prayed about, never fasted, never asked God, should I marry this person? You're just like, it feels good. Let's do it. When God has set out clear principles in Scripture about who and who not to build a relationship with. I, I don't know why I can't quit getting drunk all the time. 
Uh, wait, I'm sorry. I was hypothetically saying what I've heard people say. I don't actually get drunk all the time. Let me just rephrase that, right? <laughs> I mean, there was that time I got drunk drinking NyQuil, but that's a whole other story, okay? People will come to like, I, I just can't stop. I can't stop getting drunk. Well, okay, let's talk about what you're doing. Um, who do you hang out with? Where do you typically get drunk? Just at home? Oh, no, like at the bar. Oh. Okay, well, let's keep, keep talking about this. Who, who do you go to? Do you just go to the bar by yourself? Oh, no, my friends, my best friends. Oh, so your best friends, they just drink a little bit, or do they, like, drink a lot? Oh, they get, man, they get smashed. It's waste. They get wasted. We have so much fun together. <laughs> I can't remember any of it. <laughs> so, okay, so what you're saying, your best friends are alcoholics. And you're going to the bar with them, and you can't seem to stop drinking. Maybe you need some new friends. Maybe where the Bible says stuff like, walk with the wise and grow wise, but be a companion of fools and suffer harm. Maybe God knew what he was talking about. Maybe you should align your relationships with the authority of the word of God, and you might find that you're not hugging toilets anymore I don't that doesn't sound fun okay suit yourself relationships and finances man our lives are so whacked in those areas because we just do what we want to do and here's a centurion who said you know what I recognize the authority of Jesus I recognize that he can say a word and because I will bring my life under the authority of that word, he will have his will done in my life. And I'm looking at the church going, can we do that? Can we bring our lives under the authority of the word of God and allow him to have his way? Not our way, but his. Simply by aligning ourselves with the authority and power of the word of God. So let me ask you this question as we wrap this thing up. What area of your life is sick and about to die? I know, I know some of yours because I read them during the break. And we, we were going to hold them up, but y'all write really small. So you'll have to come look at them later, right? Unless you look at it and go, oh, I know who that, oh, wait, they're talking about me. Almost all of these are relationships and finances. So we know what area of our lives are sick and about to die. The question is, what word do you need Jesus to speak to it? My guess is he's already done it. It's right here. So would you be willing to bring your life under the authority of that word? And go home this week and Google becomes your friend in a quiet time. And you get onto Google and say, what does the Bible say about godly relationships? Enter. And you'll find tons of verses. And would you be willing to take those verses, to memorize those verses, to, to pray those verses, to live those verses out, to take what the truth of the Word of God says about relationships and, and evaluate yours in light of that? Or is that too much trouble? And if it's too much trouble, then that's your choice. I'm just letting you know as your pastor, you'll never live a life that amazes Jesus. Because the life that amazes Jesus recognizes His authority and aligns itself with it. That's your big idea today. The life that amazes Jesus is the life that is aligned with Jesus. The good news is you don't have to be churchy to do that. This is a centurion soldier. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't, he wasn't church. He was just a dude. 
But he so wanted Jesus in his life that he, he aligned his life with Jesus. Just say the word. Just say in a word. Just say the word. And I will align my life with the authority of that word. Be my chiropractor. Somebody write that song. Jesus is my chiropractor. Would you be willing to allow Jesus to align your life with his word? Because the life that amazes Jesus is the life that is aligned with Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well, let me tell you maybe the most amazing thing in this story, and then we're going to pray and be done. The only man in the entire New Testament who amazed Jesus never met him face to face. That's crazy. This was all done like you did love relationships in middle school, right? Like, tell your friend to tell their friend to tell the guy that I really like. It was all done chain of command. Like, hey, I'm sending you to talk to Jesus. They came back, sent somebody else. And then they sent the servant back, and the servant's like, wow, like, he's healed. And this centurion never even met Jesus face to face. And he's the only man in the New Testament who lived a life that truly amazed him. It's good news for us. You know why? Because we have his presence. Like, we kind of have this face to face thing going with Jesus. I love that. I love that. So I want to pray for you this morning, okay? I want you to just bow your heads real quick. I want you to think through. Maybe you've already written this area on the sheet. Maybe you didn't come up and write an area on the sheets this morning during communion, but you're already thinking of one now. What is an area of your life right now where you need God to speak a word? The word that's probably found in, in a Bible full of 66 books. There's a word there for you in this area. And as much as we want him to speak a word, the truth of the matter is the power, what really amazes Jesus is when we hear that word And then we align our lives with it. And so, God, I pray right now, Father, for those in this room that would say, yes, that's me. I just want you to put your hand up and say, that's me. I've got an area in my life. I need to align myself with the Word of God. I need to just let the authority of the Word of God speak in that area. Thank you so much. So these hands that went up, God, I pray that, that you would begin to work in them that same simple faith that the centurion had. That just simply says, look, I don't deserve any of this. It's all about the grace of God. And it's not about what I think or feel or what I would even say. It's all about your word. I want to anchor my life in your truth. And I want to submit myself to your authority. It's not my way, but it's yours. I want want to submit myself to that. And that you would honor those hearts, God. And then speak your word. That this week as they read in your Bible, God, that they would read verses that they needed to hear. And we thank you, God, for it. In your name, Jesus, amen. Um, let me just share this with you before we head out. Um, you know that uh, we are, hold on, give this, I got a Bible verse to read to you too. I told you a couple weeks back, y'all know that we're moving. Do you know that? Have you heard that? Have you heard that we're moving? Okay, no? I'm sorry, we are moving. So we're moving down the street and to the right, we're gonna move to the Kimbrels building. That's not new, um, but let me share with you what is new? And this is amazing. I love how God works. Um, he does stuff that we cannot even begin to understand or figure out, stuff that brings him glory. So since we last talked, here's what's happened. And I want to make sure, just, um, 
I'm really going to give you the freedom to maybe not do a Q&A, but if I go too fast, you're like, dude, slow down. Say that again, okay? So I'm going to make sure that you get what I'm saying. I'm going to talk slow and purposeful, and then we'll go eat lunch. In, in, in the last, since we last talked, um, you know, we're going to probably move into our new space sometime in the fall because we've got you know, we to close on it. We're purchasing it. We've got to do all this stuff on the inside to fix it up. So what we originally thought was going to happen was that the timing of God was going to be perfect, and our lease was going to run out here August the 31st, which is almost exactly in time for us to be in the new space. Um, but God obviously wants us to learn something that we don't know yet, so that's not going to happen. And so what, what's taking place is, um, and stuff that I don't fully understand at all, and I'm going to, you know, we just... Our landlord decided to change the lease terms, and so the new terms that we were given were just crazy out of our reach, um, just more than we'd ever want to pay for any space, honestly, especially here, um, as much as we love it. And so in that new lease agreement, we were given the option to, to just take a 30-day notice, and so <laughs> we did. So we are here for 30 more days in this space. Okay, now everybody take a deep breath. And let me explain to you what God, and this is how I love, I love about God, what God was already doing before any of this ever happened, okay? So, one, if you're a parent, your children that meet down the street in these other two buildings, nothing's changing for them at all, okay? They'll still be there until we move to our new space. All that's going to happen is where we as adults meet, and we're the most flexible, mature people, right? So where we meet is going to change. You're <laughs> like, yeah, let's just say that and believe it, right? Um, where we meet is going to change, okay? So um, all that's going to happen, and God's already done this, is there was already a space that's, that was being prepped, and they didn't know they were prepping it for us, but it turns out they were. It's already being, being prepped for us, and we're going to start meeting there the first Sunday in May, okay? So before I tell you where it is, let me read to you. I love this. I was reading this this week as I was thinking about just like how do we, oh, like God, what's going on? So in Joshua, right, Joshua is a great book, especially if you want to do devotions on how to move from one place to the other. Joshua chapter 1 is the verse, that's the chapter that I'll be spending a lot of time in. And when you pray for me and for the staff members and for the elders, for the leadership here, you can just pray that we would experience what God did in Joshua 1. And here's what he did. He looked at uh, Joshua and he said, now be strong and courageous. And Joshua's like, huh? I said, be strong and courageous. I think he says it four times in one chapter. So you know God's trying to get a point across, right? So you can pray for us as leadership that we will be strong and courageous. And let me just set you at ease, okay? I am. I am. I'm strong. I'm courageous. I'm not worried a bit because I see how God's orchestrating all this, and that's pretty cool stuff. So on the other side of all that's going on is going to be some amazing stories. And what I've been challenged with is this. I read books all the time. I read stories, and I share those with you. And we all go, that story is amazing. But we didn't live it, right? We just read the end of the story and go, that's amazing. But the people that you don't have amazing stories unless you go through crazy stuff, all right? And so here's, here's what I learned in Joshua chapter 3. God's given Joshua instructions, okay? Instructions on what to do with the people. And so here's what he says. Verse 5, Joshua told the people purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you I love that verse because here's what it says how many of you are type a people like you, you like to have all the answers to all the questions and like the checklist and all that stuff so I'm not really that person okay I'm kind of more like let's draw a picture <laughs> you know whatever I'm like that guy let's sing a song um 
But if you if you like to have all of the stuff, all the questions answered, all that, um, mm, you're going to struggle a bit. But here's what we can do. We control what we can control. We can't control leases, landlords, other situations. We don't control that. But you know what we do control? Purify yourselves. And so I get to look at my church, our church here at the gathering, and I get to say this to our people. Purify yourselves. Like God is giving us a window of four or five months to purify ourselves because God's going to do amazing things in our city. And so he's prepared this place for us. And you know where it is? You're dying. Like, tell me where it is. It's, it's just right there where Big Al's used to be. It's just right down the street, right? And so I'm chuckling over that, too, because as a matter of fact, that space is probably maybe a little bit bigger. Y'all are like, I've been to Big House. I watched football games in Big House. I know. I bought a bunch of people wings while they watched football and drank beer. It was great. So I love Big House. It's not there anymore. And Tiffany's on Main. She's um, opening a space just to cater. So she's renting that space just for the kitchen, and it's just sitting empty. And so we're going to get to go down there and rent that week to week for less than we're paying here now. It's crazy how God works all that out. It's just insane. It's almost like he's in control and sovereign, right? So all that, all that this means is that for us, and I want to give you, um, you know, I lead with honesty and integrity. At least I want to. I want to make sure that you know you have all the freedom in the world to be like the Israelites. Okay? You know what the Israelites struggle with more than anything else? Anybody know? Grumbling and complaining. And do you know why they did that? Because their whole MO was they were a portable church. They would set up this tabernacle and have church in it. And it was a lot. It's not like going camping, like set the tent up and zip it and done. It was a lot of work that went into setting up this tabernacle. That was way bigger than where we're meeting right now. And whenever there's this, this cloud and this fire. And that's what God used to lead them. And so whenever that would move, and we'll teach on this more later on. I'm not going into great detail today. But whenever that would move, they had to pack all that stuff up and move with it. And whenever the cloud of fire or the, or the pillar of fire or the cloud stopped, they would stop and pitch it all out again and get it all ready to go. And then if it moved, they'd pack it all up. Now, how many of you hate to go on vacation because you have to pack your suitcase and unpack your suitcase? You like the vacation, but it's the packing and unpacking. You're like, ugh. Now you know why the Israelites grumbled all the time. They're like, this is a lot of work. Portable church is a lot of work, okay? But the promise of God is he's leading us somewhere, which is there. But he's going to take us there first. And, and listen to this verse. I'll just I laugh when I read this. And then we'll get out of here. The Lord told Joshua in Joshua chapter 3, verse 8, Give this command to the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant. And that would be like leaders. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And I love this phrase, presence over preference. We've been talking about that as a staff for a while. His presence is more valuable to us than our preference. And my preference would be to never have to pack, to never have to move, to never have to be inconvenienced. But how many of you have served Jesus long enough to know that you don't get anything like that? His presence is more valuable than our preference. And so if he moves, we move. You'll hear that phrase a lot over the next four or five months. If he moves, we move. And so when he, he told him, those that carry the, the Ark of the Covenant, here was the instruction. When you reach the banks of the Jordan, take a few steps into the river and stop. And I started laughing. I'm like, so what God's doing right now for us is we're going to take a few steps into the river down there, and then we're going to stop until he says, take the rest of the steps to go there. Okay, so again... We got the whole month of April in here. We're not going anywhere yet, but I, we wanted to let you know what was happening. 
so you wouldn't hear about it out on the street because this is Stanley County. And um, so you would know what's going on. It's a good thing. It's, not, it's an inconvenient thing, but it's a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because we knew it was time to go there because y'all keep having these things called babies. And our children's facilities, we have the best kids team in the city. But we don't have the best kids facilities. And we can't do anymore with those facilities. And so this entire move is because we love families. We love children. We love the families that God's sending to our, our church. And so it's just a step in the right direction. So we take a few steps down the street and park there um, at Big Al. So tonight, 6 o'clock, if you're on a volunteer team, I mean, if you help with first impressions in the AV team, if you help count offerings if you're with hospitality wherever you serve up here on the platform in worship we have a, a meeting tonight at six o'clock here it will not be long it will be fun it will not be boring um and and it's just to talk through this kind of stuff if you've got questions about any of the move you come see us you can see me any of the elders you can see any of the leaders and just ask us the question if we don't have an answer we'll find it out for you um we'll talk more about it going forward but at least we want to let you know did i do a good job are we good Okay, if I forgot something, you just come up to me after it's over and say, you forgot to say this, and ask me the question, and I'll tell you. But um, can we pray and get out of here and go eat? All right. God, thank you so much for just your hand and um, how you lead us and how you guide us. I pray that you would always, God, find in us people whose hearts are pliable and a church whose passion is for your presence more than for a place or a building or our preference um, there's nothing at all, God, wrong with having a preference because I know for a fact that I prefer this place right now, but I don't prefer it more than you. Man, I don't prefer it more than your presence. I want your presence. And I know this, God, that as we take these steps and we honor you with our obedience, even on the days when it's tiring and hard and all that stuff, God, but as we honor you, then your word is true and you're going to do amazing things in us and through us. And so, God, as a church right now, we just say we want to purify ourselves, purify our heart. Remember why we do this in the first place. And as we do that, God, we trust you to do amazing things so that 16,007 people in our city can see what a great God we serve. We love you for it, God, and we thank you. Show us how we can jump in, God, be a part of it. Instruct us and lead us and guide us like you always do for your glory in your name. Amen.